Hey everybody, and welcome to the next episode of It's Bananas with Jeremy Fisher. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Guys, this happens every Monday at 9 a.m. And if you like and enjoy the podcast, uh, feel free to like and subscribe to the channel. Uh, this happens, uh, yeah, I already said that, it happens every Monday. Um, if you're a comedian though, if you're a comedian and you want to come on, feel free to shoot me a message, comment below, um, and just like let me know, and I'll try to get you on as soon as I can. On this week's episode, I have the amazing Vong Show. Vong, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So Vong, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm, I'm a full-time comedian. I've been working as a pro comedian for about 15 years. I started out in Alberta. Um, and, it, you know, it, it, it was pretty fun starting out in a smaller market because you kind of get more opportunities, more access to established pros and you really get to learn about the the industry a little bit more because you know when they're coming through town they have nothing to do but hang out with local comedians yeah and then i moved to toronto about maybe 10 years ago and so i've been pursuing comedy here and i love toronto i love the audience and all the opportunities Mm -hmm. so how long have you been doing comedy for then so over 10 plus years (laughs) Yeah, probably 15 years in total. Okay. Yeah. What made what gave you like the drive to like oh, I want to do comedy right now? Well, yeah. So it, it's kind of funny. I, I I kind of got into comedy backwards. So mm-hmm. I, I used to organize human rights conferences when I was in when I was in Calgary. Okay. And so what I found was I'd be I'd be on stage, and it doesn't matter if it's like an AIDS conference or something about cancer, if you're talking for over an hour, you still have to be kind of entertaining. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just sort of learned how to be entertaining while talking about, you know, whatever topics we had to talk about for that conference. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it just sort of translated to comedy in that one day I sort of realized that talking at conferences was great to um to network with like-minded people and to do projects together but in a lot of ways you're preaching to the converted mm-hmm. so i felt like stand-up comedy was a way to um to take the messages i wanted to get get out take the stories i wanted to tell and bring it to a broader audience in a more digestible format and you know also you know obviously it, it has to be funny you can't just yeah go on a stand-up yeah. stage and and be boring but uh you know i i did kind of feel like comedy was a good avenue to get that message across that's awesome yeah because i feel like with comedy a lot more people are more attentive to it especially when you're trying to be funny but then you have those people that are the speakers that try to attempt to be funny and they're like oh that's awkward (laughs) like but it's good that they at least pointed out that they're not like a comedian or any kind of uh thing like that but they just try to do uh, like use jokes like bring on that humor and point it out yeah, it can definitely be cringeworthy sometimes. <laughs> a little sometimes. bit. <laughs> but, you know, like you said, they, they do get a little, a little bit of leeway because they're not professionals. And sometimes the, uh, the the failed attempt is better than to not make any attempt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so how did you find, like, the comedy scene in, uh, in Alberta versus, like, in over here in Toronto? You know what the biggest difference to me was... In Alberta, so it's kind of funny. So my, my, my tagline out there was official spokesperson for gay super cute Asians. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I had that tagline was I actually had to introduce the fact that I was gay and then the audience would gasp and then I'd say super cute so that they would be like, okay, yeah. cool. 
um, just to sort of like break that tension. And so, number one, they don't have to do that in Toronto. You don't yeah. have to break. <laughs> you don't have to introduce the fact that you're gay. You can just start talking about being gay. You don't have to like. Yeah, it's like everybody knows. It's like, yeah, we we already know like twenty people that are already like this. So come on. Yeah, like like if I spent two minutes introducing I was gay, Toronto would just be like, okay, like yeah. You know that's great, but are you funny? Like, yeah, right. Come on, tell me some jokes. A out party. Um, so I would say that's one difference. The other difference, though, I would say is in Alberta. I'm like in Alberta, even though you wouldn't think Alberta would be like my primary market, because you know a lot of my audience are gays and Asians and other visible minorities. But one big difference in Alberta is that. The humor is the same across the province. So whether I'm in downtown Calgary, up in Edmonton, you know, in some ski lodge in in Banff or Jasper, or in like some super small city like Airdrie, you know, Lethbridge. I guess Lethbridge isn't that small, mm -hmm. but what works in one city works everywhere in Alberta. Like it's very, it's. And in Toronto, it actually messed me up a little bit because at first I came to Toronto and I was like, oh, this is going to be way easier. Yeah. Like, I had never done a Pride show in Alberta. I'd never done an Asian show. Like, So I was like, okay, this is going to be easier, right? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I usually have to spend five minutes convincing people not to hate me in Alberta. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, I don't mm -hmm. have to do that. It should be easier. But actually, in Toronto, it's kind of hard because if you do like the downtown yucks, or the Rivley, which is like two blocks away, the audience is totally different. Yeah. Okay. If you go up to like Young and Egg, totally different. So I had to like add in, as opposed to in Alberta, where I knew the first five minutes I had to introduce myself and win the crowd over because they'd mm -hmm. be like shocked at my being gay or they had never seen an Asian in person before. Yeah. <laughs> like in in Toronto, I didn't have to do that, but I did have to spend the first five minutes figuring out what type of audience it was mm -hmm. so that was totally different like i couldn't go in with just like okay here's the material i was gonna do i would just sort of open with like a few different things and then depending on the reaction i would sort of go in this direction because yeah. the audiences are so different here and i would say in a lot of ways that's good for for like a newer comedian because you're always on your toes mm -hmm. and it just teaches you like, basically, if you can make people in Toronto laugh, it'll translate to anywhere in the world. Cause... Yeah, because, like, we're so multicultural. There's so many different types of people that are just centered around Toronto, which is really nice. So it's the same thing with, like, TIFF that I've uh, I've mentioned this as well. Like, TIFF is the exact same reason. The reason why people play movies here first is because if it does well here, then it'll do well, like, all around the world. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely how I feel about the Toronto audience here. They're not easy, but they are representative. Mm -hmm. And it really does give you a, a good taste of, of what you can expect when you go other places. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, you you mentioned that you're the uh, spokesperson for, like, super cute gay Asians. Like, what? how did that, like, become, like, your thing? That, well, you know what it was? was when I first started, um, you know, just because when I first started and even now I, I generally don't even promote myself as a stand-up comedian because mm -hmm. at the base of it like when I start writing my my material I actually start out with what message I'm trying to get across 
and I, I, I can probably tell the people like your listeners uh, who are listening to this probably would think that that would make it like super not funny. Mm-hmm. But actually, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like, like for me, I've been in comedy so long that I always find that the funniest material is the material I'm most passionate about. Mm-hmm. So if I'm like ranting about something and I just really like there's something I'm so passionate about, I need to talk about it. I just sort of write that out. And, you know, as a professional, I just assume I can make it funny. Mm-hmm. Like, I can go in, I can structure it, I can add punchlines, stuff like that. So the funny thing is the making it funny is the part that I find easier. It's the finding things that I'm passionate about where, because an audience can tell if you're into your material. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're just saying it because you've done this joke a million times and you know it works, like, they can kind of tell versus wow, this is like what's important to him right now. And there's like this ferocity in the way he's telling it. And then I just, you know, like I said, then I just sit down and add in the punch lines later. Mm-hmm. But awesome. yeah, so I would say that's why I, I use like the official tools version because probably even more than trying to make people laugh, I'm trying to like convey a message or convey the stories that I'm trying to tell. Um, and the, like the laughter is just more the medium that I'm choosing to use mm-hmm. with, you know, like I said, people listening, probably if you don't know my material would think that's like the worst way. And it's probably like social justice warrior boring shit. Yeah. But I, I yeah. promise you, I do know that being funny is important. Yeah, I'm not just being sure. up there and like preach for an hour. That's yeah. like ridiculous. And you do have some of your clips that people can definitely check out over on your uh, YouTube channel, right? Um, yeah, you can go to youtube.com slash Fong Show. It's like Gong Show, but with a V. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my, my, my clips are up there. And uh, yeah, with, uh, with, with Pride Month coming up, I'm, I'm starting to, to go back and, and uh, post old clips of myself from different, uh, from different Pride performances in Toronto. Yeah. I wonder what, uh, what do you think Pride is going to do for, for right now? Because everything's still closed down. Like, you're obviously not going to have a huge mass gathering like what they normally do. Well, so Pride, well, Pride itself is officially canceled. Yeah. Uh, so there's definitely no parade, no authorized events, nothing like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, people will try and celebrate, uh, celebrate Pride in some way online, I'm sure. I'm sure they'll be like, online shows i'm just not sure if there's like a central committee organizing that or if it'll just be separate artists pushing out yeah Uh, like i'm not really sure it should be interesting to see what shape it takes Mm -hmm. Um, i I would hope the community could come together and sort of organize and help promote each other but you know it could just be different artists just promoting their own yeah, like it would be a good, a good idea even just to like have a website like, oh, here, here's everybody doing like different Zoom shows. Feel free to like join in and like have fun, like just listen to whatever people are kind of like trying to do for their art and, and just kind of yeah. like show them show them around, making sure that they're still spotlighted for this for this time of the year. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I know the Toronto Drag Queens are really good at that. They've yeah. got, <laughs> they've got um, oh, shoot, I'm... I'm I'm going to get into trouble for not remembering this. But, they, but if, if, you, if you Google Toronto drag queens, there is mm-hmm. like a central repository website that lists all the drag queens, the shows, all, all like everything like that. But I would say like for the non-drag queen shows during Pride, I'm not really sure how they're going to um, cross-promote each other. Yeah. And uh, so, Vaughn, you had like a bunch of comedy shows that you were producing uh, before this whole uh, situation happened. 
Yeah. <laughs> and like they were a great, they were really great. You had what was it? It was Fresh Show that was featuring just amateur comedians. You had Fresh Rice, which was uh, amateur Asian comedians. Um, you had your uh, the bigger one that you did. What was that one? So there was so there was um, there was rice. So just rice, not the oh, fresh rice. Okay. But that's like the 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 pro Asian comedians. Mm-hmm. So um, and then there's so so um, my main shows. So there, there's sort of two types of shows. So I've got my my professional shows. Mm-hmm. So there's there's uh, rice, which is um, Asian comedians. There's Fruit, which is queer comedy, mm-hmm. and there's What Up, What Up Toronto, which is urban comedy. And by urban, I mean, um, you know, like I live in downtown Toronto. So what I see on the streets of Toronto is what I want reflected on the stage of Toronto. Because okay. I, I know urban can mean different things to different people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've got Comedy Cares, which is a nonprofit that partners comedians and charities to raise money for worthy causes. So those are like the four pro shows and then I've got Fresh, um, which is a which is a um, it's a showcase of new talent in Toronto. Mm-hmm. But then I also apply the Fresh brand to each of the shows. So there's Fresh, there's Fresh Rice, there's Fresh Fruit, there's you know yeah, just kind of like spotlighting the amateur com- uh, comedians coming into the scene. Yeah, and so they're they're sort of they're they're sort of broken up in, in their own little thing. But the you know the title Fresh kind of unites all of them. Mm-hmm. It's funny because I remember talking to you earlier and you always mentioned how um, some comedians that were like non-Asians would try to get onto your shows that were specifically just for Asians. Oh my goodness. Yeah. The amount of entitlement with people like there's um, the amount of times and you know, not to be stereotypical, but it usually is straight white guys who just will email me or send me messages about rice and how you know, they feel so discriminated against that they can't be on rice. And I was like... Just because the rice is white doesn't mean that you're able to get onto it. Come on. I was like, you know, I was like, I do have other shows. Like, you could submit for Comedy Cares. Yeah. Submit for What Up, What Up Toronto. You could submit for, like, I I have a lot of shows where white people are allowed. Like, why are you <laughs> asking about the one show that I have for Asians? Like, do you give on, them, like, man. any penalties whenever they did that? Like how were how were you as a producer? Whenever like comedians would come up to you and try to ask you to get on shows that were just specifically for Asians, you know, I think I think I've been in the comedy world long enough. Like I try not to hold things against people because I'll you know, as annoying as it could be sometimes, I also respect hustle over anything. So. Mm-hmm. Even if I'm annoyed at the way they approached me, I still appreciate that it's hard to approach somebody and then get rejected for something. Um, so I try not to hold it against them. I would say in general, the only times I wouldn't have somebody back is if they did something at a show. Yeah. Like they were just like bonkers. Like, you know, one of the early fresh shows they had to storm up on stage and like kick oh, somebody out. I think I was at that show. I think I was at that show and I remember and he ended up like dropping the mic right onto the stage, right in front of you as you were about to grab it. And I'm like, what is this guy doing? Like, yeah. So, you know, definitely when somebody is disrespectful to the audience and mm-hmm. then damages equipment, which, you know, because was anybody... yeah, wasn't he making fun of women? And there was a woman that was in the front of the, of the room that was like, oh, maybe like, maybe you should get off the stage now or whatever. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah. It was, he was, he was making fun of women, which, 
you know, I will say generally, you know, obviously we, we don't want that type of material. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say like at a new comedian show where you've been doing it for fewer than six months. I think the audience does give you a little bit more leeway, but he was just so egregious about yeah. it that even at a new comedy show, people are like, okay, this is. That's too much. Like, yeah. And then he, he did what a lot of people do, unfortunately, which is instead of taking ownership that your jokes suck be like he just started yelling at the audience yeah and for me it's like you know like fresh is like basically like a friends and family show because let's be real who's gonna come out and see somebody who's only been doing comedy for two months basically yeah. they're friends and family right so if you can't have a friends and family crowd who are the most supportive crowd you're ever gonna face in your entire career mm -hmm. If you can't get them to laugh and then start yelling at them for not laughing, it's just, you know, totally crazy. And, you know, once once it was a shouting back and forth with him in the in the audience, it was just over. Yeah. Was, and what made it worse was that, you know, because I would say even at that point, well, probably to be honest, once he once he damaged the the microphone, that probably was the end of him. But in general, if, if you take that out and it was just the the interaction with the audience, I would still be willing to give somebody a chance because especially if they're new, they haven't been doing it, they get up on stage, everything's failing, the audience is yelling at them, and they just sort of freak out and start yelling back. I might even be able to understand that. Yeah. But then this dude went on like this whole victimization woe is me social media campaign talking about how awful this audience was to him and i was yeah. like okay like let it go you had a really bad night yeah you destroyed some equipment so you're probably never going to work with this particular producer again yeah and you've made a whole audience of people hate you but you know what people have recovered from that yeah. but then to like yeah. then continue it online and keep trying to make yourself the starting, starting more drama just so you can get that kind of attention oh my god like like you know dude you do know i have video evidence like yeah. like if, if you don't shut up i'm just gonna drop it'll be like this it'll be like the kim kardashian dropping <laughs> that shit on taylor swift like you know it'll be a hashtag snake emoji for the rest of your career like, <laughs> just calm down i got the footage buddy yeah. like it's like i can you ruin are... you it's just like any time so like please stop like i don't want to have to do this <laughs> Like, I don't want to have to push the red button. Yeah, and it's just... Because, you know, like, the stand-up community, they just love gossip so much. Oh, and, yeah. I, I and, like, I was, <laughs> like, I was ready to let it go. I didn't need to tell anybody. Only the people at the show would... Yeah. Like, for me, I'll, like, stop booking somebody, but I'm not going to go out and, like, contact other producers and tell them not to book them. Like, yeah. you know, there's... People have different experiences with different people, so I'm not mm. going to start like a hate campaign. Fine, yeah. going to piss me off, but you know, it is what it is. But then now you're going online and going crazy. It was, yeah, it's was... too much. <laughs> uh, so what are you doing yeah. for what are you doing for shows now? Because obviously everything's online. So have you, you you were mentioning before that you haven't decided to put any of these shows online yet? No. So I've I've. I've put all my shows on hold for now until we have live shows again. So that might not be until 2021 yeah. um, or later, who knows? I'm at, um, I've actually, I was planning to do like my first 75 minute solo special. Um, 
and I, I had reserved the the, the CBC uh, Glenn Gould studio for next June. And even now, I'm wondering if that has to get pushed. So I'm already thinking halfway into 2021, mm-hmm. what I'm going to do, because you can't rent out like a studio theater with 700 seats for that night and mm-hmm. then have to sell, you know, 20% of the tickets only because of social distancing. Like, who knows what's going to happen? And I, I guess for me, too, so I, I have been doing some online shows, like other shows that people have requested me on. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, to be perfectly honest, and, you know, I, you know, I don't want to put this out there so that people don't book me, but <laughs> also, like, I don't want to translate my shows to that because I just don't feel like that's stand-up. Like, stand-up is about telling your story in front of a live audience, and mm-hmm. I don't feel like you can really recreate that. And I feel like there's more opportunity in digital media to translate your material. Um, so I've been working more on, you know, I launched a, a podcast this month for Rice. I've been cutting, you know, interview footage. I've been, you know, like, I would say like sketch and improv probably translate more to the digital medium. But like, unless you're going to find a different way to package stand up, mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. sure a Zoom meeting it's just like having oh. random people kind of like show up because I've heard like a lot of stories of like random people showing up and like just trashing it and just trying to like putting on their mic and just saying a whole bunch of random crap. Yeah, it's very, you know, at the very least, if I were to do a stand up show, I would probably run it more like a webinar where you only saw the cameras and um, heard the microphones from the performers mm-hmm. and the people there could only like type in the chat, um, which is kind of sad because with stand-up you want to hear the laughter, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure like a giant group meeting where you see everybody's face and they have access to their um, their microphone is 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 the best thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's impossible to translate it, but I don't think people have put in the work to think about how to translate it. They're just like, let's do a Zoom and do stand-up, yeah. but I'm not sure that's how that it's really just yeah. like, let me just tell you this joke that I kind of created and hope that the other comedians that are on laugh at the jokes. But then it's just going to one of those open mics where there's only comedians and you don't want them to be there. You would rather have an audience. Yeah, and that's the thing with me. Like, I do very few open mics, if ever. Yeah. Like, when when there were still open mics. So, you know, to translate that online wouldn't really be appealing to me anyway because I feel like... Like, honestly, if I wanted to talk to a room that wasn't paying attention, I would just talk to my mirror. Like, I don't really get why I would put my clothes on, go halfway across the city to talk to an audience that's not listening. I, I don't really understand that. Mm-hmm. But um, but, but back, back to your question, what, what I am fortunate on is I've got probably a year's worth of content. Um, so at, at all my shows... I, I, I record usually between two to four camera angles. And um, we, we had filmed a concert film at the CBC Glenn Gould Studio for Chinese New Year. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, just before just all of this. Um, and so I've, I've got all that footage. So I'm just editing footage together now um, into different web series. And so the first one is debuting on June 1st. And so... You know, what we're doing, as opposed to doing live comedy on a Zoom thing, 
I'm taking like prepackaged footage um, and I'm I'm posting it on YouTube, but then sending it out as like a watch party. Mm-hmm. And so then the comedians there, the headliners there, the host is there, and then your friends and family are there to sort of watch your debut episode. And so there's a live chat you can interact. Um, you know, obviously like YouTube, you can hit thumbs up, subscribe, yeah. different things like that. But um, you know, and I'm not sure if that'll work either. But for me, hey, it it's, seems it's more. Per- yeah, like like we'll see. We've got 20 comedians. Yeah. Um, for the month of June, and the idea is hopefully each day we build momentum. Mm-hmm. But I'm also totally willing to um to concede that it could completely fall flat and not work at all. But it's something think- that you're putting out there, and really, like how many people like you just gotta like consistently do something like that and because you already have 20 episodes that's going to be like 20 things that that's going to be out there so it might pick up too nice yeah like i've i've looked at um like it's interesting doing like seeing all the zoom shows and everything like that going around so it'd be interesting to see like maybe even getting into vr like because there i've seen like there i think there's like one or two uh applications on for vr that you can actually go into like this makeshift like uh um, comedy club and start doing your jokes but i've heard like terrible reviews because you have a whole bunch of like racist sexist people that go on there and try to be funny so but it'd be interesting to like kind of have that that vr experience where you can have the comedians just go in and like you're virtually you're you're there but you're not really there yeah, like I think um, I saw that the Sam Norton, who is a ridiculously funny comedian, um, um, Google him, check him out. Yeah, he, he released his VR special in, near the beginning of this pandemic, so maybe sometime in March. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely if you have VR gear, go try that on. I, I actually do have some have some VR gear, but um, more for viewing VR. VR, I I don't have like um, like the, the Oculus stuff. Rift or. Uh htc vive or anything like that yeah yeah i've, I've, I've got the uh i've got the um the, uh, oculus oh, okay. and and um you know it's good for viewing but i i feel like there's like these 360 cameras i would kind of need to like put on a vr show mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. i don't have so i more i could be in the audience of the vr show but i'm not sure i have the equipment to create a vr show but you know that's definitely an interesting idea Mm -hmm, for sure or even just like if you're doing a zoom show kind of have like they should create like an option where when you're doing it the audience has the option of like hitting a button or whatever and it creates like a a laugh track so that like the comedian would be able to hear like an audible laugh rather than like having them have a microphone on they could just like hit a button and like it creates a laugh that that they could do like oh this is like a chuckle laugh or like a really funny like kind of laugh but it creates like an audio file for that laugh yeah, no, that'd be cool. Right. Totally be cool. <laughs> I wonder if they're eventually <laughs> going to come up with that kind of stuff just for comedy because, like, who knows when we're actually going to be able to do these kind of oh. live shows again. Like, just even with even more than 10 people in the audience, like, because a comedian wants more than that for a good audience, too. Yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be pretty dire for a long time because, you know, and as, as, as a... As a full-time comedian, I would say about half my income came from ticket sales to live shows. Mm-hmm. There's some money that comes in for like residuals and for other things, but for the most part, you really are relying on live shows, either you know ticket sales or you're doing corporate gigs. Um, 
where it is a live show. Mm -hmm. And some of that mm -hmm. has been translated to online, but like how many companies are really going to pay thousands of dollars so you can jump in on their Zoom meeting? For... Yeah, make it more lively. <laughs> like it's just not, it's you not like as... half the company not even like using their webcam right now. They're not even focused. They're probably like taking a shit right now how <laughs> this whole meeting is going down. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Just put on your avatar and leave the room for 20 yeah. minutes. But, you know, who knows? We're all trying to figure it out. And I, I, you know, I, I will say that, you know, I, I feel worse for the, for the more established comedians who've been around for a long time. Like, this is a tough time late in your career to pivot. Mm -hmm. But I would say... Whenever I hear like the younger comedians kind of worry about the situation, I'm I'm kind of confused because if you look at almost every major industry, people break through when there's disruption. And if you're a young comedian who grew up with the internet, with social media, and you don't see this as an opportunity to translate your comedy in a form that like the current top comedians probably can't do as well as you because you, they didn't, they didn't grow up on it or they weren't even practicing it at all. Yeah, like if if you don't see this as an opportunity, I don't really know, like, you know what I mean? Like yeah, you're yeah. no longer playing their game. This is your game. This is your, um, this is your territory. You can use all these tools that, that you inherently know. Um, yeah. So like TikTok is a really good one for like, if you're a new comedian, just get out on TikTok and start making random short videos. They're going to be under 60 seconds anyway. So it's honestly like one of the best ways for a comedian to kind of like get their face out there and get recognized. Yeah. Like if, if you're funny, it should translate to different mediums. And every time there's a new, uh, every time there's a new social media channel or um, app like TikTok or before that Vine or you know even when YouTube came out like every time there's something new there's new superstars that emerge from it yeah oh so if you if you've got the the talent to break through you should be happy when there's new things coming out because it gives an opportunity for new voices to break through like people don't go to a new platform to hear the same people mm -hmm. like they they're actually actively looking for new voices and new talent um so yeah and, you know i'm I'm kind of in the middle i'm definitely not at the end of my career yet but i'm certainly not at the beginning so yeah. i'm i'm trying to keep up and <laughs> i'm trying to uh to 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 adapt but you know I, I didn't grow up with this so i i would i i would say to new comedians like if you're in lockdown obviously some people still have their day jobs mm -hmm. are working from home that's different but if you're at home and you're a new comedian and you're not at least exploring these different formats and just complaining about how there's no live comedy like come on like yeah like you have to do something if it's already been like what over two months that we've been that we've been like at home so i feel like so, like you got to do at least like one thing like learn something new use that skill and like kind of just keep developing it because even like even if this like decides to finish like we and we are able to go back out at least you have that skill and you can still use it while also going back out to the shows and then you can just kind of like intermingle whatever you do at the shows and incorporate that back to online yeah absolutely and you know obviously it's a really good time to to be writing as well mm -hmm. i know some comedians find it harder because they work out their material on stage so you know i get i totally get that um so it helps more comedians who are 
more traditional writing types. Yeah. Versus a lot of stand-up comedians just, you know, go up on stage and sort of say what's on their mind and refine it from there. So those type of comedians, yeah, it'll be hard for them to come up with new material. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you're more of a traditional writing type of comedian where you just sort of sit at a cafe alone and write, like, you know, you you probably should be coming out of this with at least 20 minutes of new material, if not a half hour. for sure. (laughs) Definitely got like a lot of time. Have you been writing a lot too? I've, you know, at the beginning I was writing, but then I've more been focusing on learning. So mm-hmm. I've been taking a, um, I've been taking a, a, a YouTube course. Before that, I, I was going through, um, I was learning video editing. So I downloaded like DaVinci Resolve and then I figured out my computer wasn't able to like yeah. edit. <laughs> um, and I had gotten it to the point where I could edit like 4K footage, but like the concert film footage from January was 6K footage. Oh, perfect. So, oh my God. I was like, oh. So I I spent the the beginning, you know, just upgrading every part of my computer I could until I could finally edit. So there's like 12 camera angles. And so I needed it to be able to, to, to consecutively stream two 6K angles and 10 4k angles simultaneously and the amount of like tinkering with the system to make it do you need like a super computer to handle that kind of stuff yeah so i i I finally did it two months in i finally honestly i i almost started jumping up and down and like shouting for joy when i actually saw my multi-camera timeline and, and you know you you work on um on hollywood films and mm-hmm. stuff but like, to be able to see that multi-cam timeline simultaneously show all 12 angles that i could just like live like click on each angle to, to switch it mm-hmm. um i was just like yeah i was pretty happy um so yeah so i that that took me like like two months both building the computer mm-hmm. i obviously waiting for parts to ship and then um you know the great thing about davinci resolve is they have all these like free tutorial books on their website and honestly it's better than paid tutorials because whenever i i you know I, i've done a lot of tutorial learning in my life and most of the time you always get to a point in the book where you're like this doesn't match up with what i'm doing and then you get like totally stuck mm-hmm like after 500 pages um, of their first book, like I didn't get stuck once. And now each of their modules has a separate 500 page book. And I was like, this is crazy that they're giving all this shit away for free. Yeah. Uh, and the program itself is free. And I was like, this is, you know, that's amazing. It's, it, it's pretty crazy. Um, and then I was like, okay, so now I know how to edit video, mm-hmm. but like, I put a lot of effort into these videos and I don't want to just put it online and have it get 12 video views on YouTube, which is basically what my YouTube channel averages now. (laughs) I'll edit a video for like hours or days. I put it up and it's like 12 people and I'm like blasting my email list and putting it on social media and it's still like the sad 12 people. Yeah. So right now I'm going through a YouTube course where it's teaching me how to like you know get viewers grow your channel and so that the first thing i did actually that i learned was 
I just had everything under my own channel, Vong Show, and I just put everything under there, like all my different shows, fruit, rice, fresh, all that shit. Yeah. And the first thing I had to do, which was kind of sad, was I guess for YouTube, you just have to be even more niche. So I had to split up every show to its own YouTube channel because I guess people coming to see an Asian showcase don't want to see like, you know, gay like a gay showcase yeah like i'm sure yeah. they don't mind it but it's like they come here for a specific thing. thing yeah yeah so that's what i'm working on now is like literally splitting out and because they have so many shows that's like a lot of freaking youtube channels so now i'm like trying to manage instead of growing one youtube channel i'm trying to grow seven youtube channels yeah. and i was like it's a little bit like ridiculous but makes it easier if you just have the one but like how many views are you gonna get on that yeah, like I tried it with one, and after 15 years, I had 400 subscribers. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to shut up and listen to whatever they tell me. Yeah. They say I need seven channels. I'll make these goddamn seven channels. Right. I mean, you could always just do like those top 10 channels that, that people have. Like uh, there's one like Information Overload overload or whatever. Uh, that one has like ridiculous. They have like a couple million subscribers, and it's just like random useless facts that like people don't even need to know. But it's fun that people like watch it. Yeah, I, I think what I'm gonna do is I probably will do some like top ten lists, but more from like once I get all the footage out there, I feel like I could do like compilation lists, like you know, top ten jokes about I don't know, gay marriage or some shit. And then I just put that top ten jokes about getting dumped. Yeah. And then I'll have all that footage. So I'll I'll probably get out all the footage at first as it is, and then. Yeah, definitely the power of like best of compilation lists mm -hmm. are really are really good on YouTube. For yeah, sure. people really love their lists. Yeah, the other thing I found, so I've been doing research on different comedians, like the ones who've like been successful on YouTube, whether, you know, um, because you have like really big names who have huge followings who still can't break through on YouTube. So it's 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 like this very particular thing. Mm -hmm. So I've been following comedians who are specifically good on YouTube. And one thing I've learned is like, um, I have so much footage of hosting. It is funny because like, I really don't like hosting. I'm much more of like um, a, a prepared material kind of guy. Mm -hmm. But partially because of that, because I'm so awkward as a host, there's like a lot of weird hosting moments. Um, and one thing I find is like the number one comedy videos online are either like hecklers or spontaneous moments or just shit that happens that's unscripted. It's really popular. Yeah, so like Steve Hofstetter. Do you know Steve Hofstetter? I've I've heard of him. Yeah. Yeah, he's a ginger guy, and he just like he always gets the heckler people, and he always just roasts, like crushes the hell out of them. I love him so much just because of like he just destroys anybody that tries to heckle him. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's definitely popular heck, anti heckler videos, um, mm -hmm. for sure, and um, and yeah, I remember there's, there's a couple times where we broke out into like happy birthday singing, and you know, I've and then you know, obviously there's a video of me kicking that guy off stage, but I probably won't upload that. Probably not. <laughs> no, it, it probably would get a lot of views, Maybe, but. Yeah. Kind of like vindictive like is it unless he starts another social media smear campaign then yeah. i will be up but you know other than that i don't want to show people in like their worst moments yeah um but yeah there there's a lot of good hosting moments um 
I remember there was a moment, so Leonard Chan was on my rice show at the Rivoli, mm -hmm. and he was recording his album, but there was something wrong, so he had to come back the next month to re-record, like, the ending of it. But then something went wrong again, so then he had to come back out later in the show and re-re-re-record again. Oh and so I, I've got some of that footage, and that's really funny, so I'm kind of going to you know, really look through the footage again and just be like, what are these spontaneous moments? Because people do like like prepared material and, and stuff, but it's really like the stuff that goes viral is those unexpected yeah. moments just, of comedy. Yeah, shows. like the bloopers, the bloopers of everything. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit about uh, your podcast that you do. You just recently started that one and it got uh, featured on Spotify. Yeah, it, it was funny. So, so Spotify reached out um, at, at the start of May or maybe end of April, you know, saying they had this Asian Heritage Month campaign happening and that they saw that I had a podcast. To be honest, at that time, my podcast had one episode. So I'm not sure if they found me through the podcast. They must have found me like from my monthly rice shows. Mm -hmm. And then when they saw there was a podcast, they probably like assumed it was of similar quality, um, which to be honest at the time it wasn't because we only had one episode. So very quickly, as soon as they contacted me, I was like, really I got to have some episodes now. <laughs> and the good thing is it went with the theme of Asian Heritage Month. So for the first 10 days in May, we had four panelists, all different Asians from all different backgrounds from, you know, you know, Southeast Asians to Southern Asians to the Middle East to Egypt. We just had literally, if it's on the map of Asia, <laughs> you know, then we tried to have representation on this show. Mm -hmm. um, probably with, I would say the only country that didn't get representation is like Southern Russia, but I couldn't really find Russia. Someone who's Southern Russia, yeah. Wanting to, because you know, like where Maria Sharapova grew up, Sochi is like officially in Asia, but I'm not sure having Maria Sharapova celebrated or somebody who looks like her celebrated for Asian Heritage Month would work too well. Yeah. Uh, so I will admit I didn't have Russian representation, but overall, um, other than that, we represented. So we did, um, we did 10 episodes in 10 days that really got things moving. And then we then switched over to a permanent panel of Leonard Chan, um, Sebastian Chow and Jennifer Shung. Mm -hmm. And now we're, now we do it weekly. Um, and we're hoping to turn it from, you know, from a pre-recorded podcast to doing like a live, almost like a live talk show slash podcast where we would like get questions, sort of like, you know, okay. like on TV, like the social yeah. or the view, but we would like record it live. Mm. Um, Just so you can communicate with the audience as well and have like any kind of questions that people might like be interested in. And obviously you can create like good comedy from that as well. So yeah because you know like like definitely um like jennifer leonard and sebastian they're all like so like quick on their feet mm -hmm. uh, and so being able to take audience questions like you know like the segment would generally start with us just talking um on our own opinion but then if somebody puts something into the, the chat box and it, it's related we can definitely sort of wing it off of there mm -hmm. and I've been trying to, you know, there's another thing I'm trying to learn is uh, live broadcasting and OBS and all this. So 
software. So I'm just literally on a. So to answer your original question from 20 minutes ago, yeah. the reason why I haven't been writing a lot of stand up at the moment is because you and uh, everything else that that's behind the scenes right now just to get it rolling yeah and then once it gets rolling it should be easier um and also like before i was spending two to four hours a day writing stand-up because i was really trying to make sure i was ready for my 75 minute special next year mm -hmm. but now that it's like is it even going to happen i was like i don't know so it's sort of taken the wind out of my sails to be that committed to writing right now so for me, I'm just like, let's just push in these digital directions. Obviously, it's working. You know, Spotify really came through for us. They, you know, I, at first they were just, um, they were promoting us across all forms of social media, these digital ads. And then, you know, over this weekend, they, they put us on like a giant billboard, like this 100-foot billboard above Young Dundas Square, which, you know, for your non-Toronto listeners, is like the Toronto version of Times Square is yeah. the busiest intersection in Canada. So to not be right there, now, I mean, but before. <laughs> oh yeah, it's funny. I posted a picture of it, and I, there's I like put, nobody. There's nobody in the in the picture. Yeah, there's one guy in the whole picture. Oh, it's, it's so sad. So it's just like Photoshop, like everybody else. <laughs> I'm getting more views on it on social media than actual people walking through Dundas yeah. Square, which is a little sad. But yeah. you know, I'll I'll take what I can get. It's, yeah. uh, it's at least it's on social media, so people can see. Yeah, I I feel really bad too because there's like other podcasts that they're um there. So the other Asian podcast they're promoting for Asian Heritage Month is called Extra Gravy. Mm -hmm. um, it's with uh, Big Norm Alkinsel. He's like this hilarious comedian. He's been on Rice um, as well. So just a shout out to Norm and the Extra Gravy podcast um, folks. But so it's sort of like these two side-by-side -side billboards that, that were up there. But I kind of feel guilty because like I look at Extra Gravy and they've got like hundreds of episodes. They've got like a podcast intern. They've really been going at it. And then like- and you got like 10 episodes. <laughs> Here's me as like 10 episodes. I was like, oh shoot, I feel kind of guilty. There's probably like another Asian podcast out there that's like, you know, bitch, we've been doing it for like years. I right. can't Could you imagine somebody's got like 300 episodes and like, come on, Spotify. <laughs> but you know what? I feel guilty, but I don't feel bad. Whatever. I mean, it gives you the publicity you wanted. So. <laughs> Hey, listen, I, I, I always, as I said before, I always uh, respect the, the, the hustle. So. Right. See, look at that. I barely had to do anything and you got so far. <laughs> oh, man. So what has been like your most it's bananas moment? So like something in comedy or in your life, something that's either happened like really bad or really good, just anything in your life that's made you look back and like, wow, I can't believe that just happened. Like that's bananas. I would say, honestly, that, that billboard was was kind of shocking because yeah. I didn't know it was going to happen. And um, the week, you know, I had a little bit of an inkling. So the week prior, I went out there and I literally waited in Dundas Square to see if my face would pop up. It was so sad. I was just sitting there for like a couple hours. And um, Lady Gaga had switched her album release from, it was supposed to come out like early in the pandemic, like I forget, like March or April. Mm -hmm. And she switched it to like last weekend, which was when I thought my billboard was going up. 
But then I saw Lady Gaga. I was like, oh, I was like, okay, I guess it got preempted because what I'm going to say is Lady Gaga, right? Yeah. She released an album. She's going to she's gonna take the billboard. Um, so I was really excited when our billboard kicked her billboard off this week. Look at that. You're more famous than Lady Gaga in Toronto. <laughs> I was like, move over, Lady Gaga. <laughs> There's oh. a new... It was so ridiculous. Was, yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. I was like, I can't believe we took over the Lady Gaga oh spot. Could you imagine what she's saying right now? Like, oh come on, he only has like ten episodes. This is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, so I would say that was like a holy cow moment. I'd say too. So for the for the concert film in January, we had um, we had uh, we had Kathleen Wynn show up. Um, for for your non-Toronto listeners, that's um, the the former premier of Toronto and and currently an an MP. Um, and we had we had we had um, Olivia Chow show up. We had the the um, the executive in charge of scripted content from CBC came out. So I would say that was like a wow moment for me because I was like, okay, that was I that was huge for you. Like I yeah, wish I, I could have like, went there, but like it sold out so fast too. Oh yeah, I was like, I better bring my game because not only were these people in the audience, but I started Rice because like it was the first time in my career of 15 years that I could say like the five funniest comedians in Toronto were all Asian. I was like, we need to do something before y'all get famous and move away. Like this is our opportunity. Yeah. So not only was I worried about, you know, these influential people being in the audience um there, there were some there were some other bookers um there as well and people from production companies looking for writers stuff like that so not only was i nervous about that but also i was like okay so i literally am on stage with the four best comedians in toronto and i was like if i do not bring my very best i'm gonna be forgotten i'm just gonna be like oh yeah that other guy like you know what <laughs> that I mean? one guy like, i can't remember his name but i did a show for him one time but <laughs> yeah and honestly when you're on the stage with people like ron jostle and leonard chan and jennifer shung and cassie cow like if you like it's very easy to be like the other comedian yeah like the one you know we've all been there where you're waiting at line outside of the show and people come up and congratulate all the comedians and kind of just stare at you and congratulate everybody else and they're like they look at you and like oh yeah you did well too yeah yeah like it's the you did well too thing at the end of it's like oh come on you didn't think i did well at all yeah it's just you don't want to be that comedian and i was just like i was like oh shit i need but you know what that pressure is what makes a concert film come alive like if i just put myself with like terrible comedians i would be the best of the night like that's not (laughs) not good art um yeah i i also did something a little bit crazy that i wouldn't recommend to people but i i only did it because i've been doing comedy for so long Mm -hmm. but i threw in probably 30 percent of the material i had never performed before which is it not something to do on a TV taping with yeah. executives in the audience? For the very yeah. first time, like, oof, with untested material? Jeez. But for me, I knew that I needed, I was so comfortable with my material. I knew I needed, like, I needed a chance that it would all blow up in my face. Mm-hmm. Because there's, like, this, 
like I would say half of the videos I have on YouTube are the first time I perform something because there's like this energy that you can't, you can't recreate. There's this nervousness. You don't know if it's going to work. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. just, it is dangerous because also sometimes it really doesn't work. Um, and especially because some of my material is like super edgy as well. It's like, oh, but I was just like, you know what? I'd rather it fail than to not have a chance to shine. And when you're on the stage with such good pro comedians, you can't play it safe. Like you have to, you have to swing for that home run, even if you strike out, because if you hit a single, you are going to be that, you know, you did well to comedian. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, I've I've had a couple moments where I'm like, I'm just gonna try out some new material. Like I had half of my set was planned material, the other half was just let me let me wing it and see what happens. And the part that I want, like when I was winging it, I did a lot better than my scripted stuff. So I'm like, oh my god, like I felt more energy. I felt because I'm like, I don't know how this is gonna go, so I'm just gonna have fun with it. And just having fun with it made it a lot better. Like I had like what I was gonna talk about. But I didn't, I didn't write it down. I didn't plan it at all. It was just like, okay, I have what I, I want to talk about and let's just go at it. And I had a really good time with it. And it was like one of my best shows that I did. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, I, I definitely get what you're saying. There's, you just can't, you just can't replicate the feeling of mm-hmm. debut. You know? like, like I said, I, I don't recommend it yeah, for, yeah, for, sure. for, a, for a TV taping. But, you know, sometimes sometimes you got to take that risk, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are you doing to keep yourself positive during this whole time? Bring out some positivity to people. Um, no, you know, it's funny. I, I actually don't have to work that hard at it because I'm, I, well, well number one, I, I'm lucky that I have almost everything I need in my apartment. It's mm-hmm. for downtown Toronto. It's, it's. Uh, you know, if you're outside of Toronto, I'm living in like a shoebox. Yeah, well, for downtown same, same Toronto, thing, same thing. <laughs> yeah, for Toronto, this is like pretty well sized. Um, it's it's a two bedroom apartment, and and so the second bedroom, I have all the equipment I need for my comedy, and I also have a treadmill, so I get to do some exercise, the yoga mat, stuff like that. So for me, like I'm I'm lucky that I have everything I need, and I don't really need to go out and. You know, I generally have the the groceries delivered. Different that I know the grocery stores are open now, so maybe I'll I'll go in person. But basically, I don't have to leave the house, so that's that's one part of it. It's like the privilege of not having to leave if I don't need to. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. other thing I'm really lucky in is my mentality. So I'm actually quite comfortable. Like there's times where I haven't left the house in like ten to fourteen days, and I don't. I don't get cabin fever. Like I'm just very okay not leaving. Like I have a balcony. I don't even go out, out on my balcony. Like yeah. I don't really need oh this, this is not really <laughs> I'm perfectly fine like, with the company that I have in my own head. Yeah, like I, I honestly this doesn't sound really bad, but like I don't really need fresh air. I can just kind of be in my air conditioned home and work. Yeah. At, Especially with just like this past week that happened, like it was super humid and hot. I'm like, I don't want to leave outside. And they recently like were dealing with the plumbing. So they turned off my water and they also turned off my AC too because they were dealing with the plumbing. And I was just like sweating balls in here. I'm like, come on now. I can't go outside because it's humid. It's the same like temperature. I'm just dying trying to like do my work. I'm like, I can't do anything. I can't focus. 
Yeah, like uh, it doesn't sound really bad as well. Um, and I've actually been been dumped over this, but I actually don't really like sunshine. <laughs> um, and so, You've like, been dumped I, over it. Oh yeah, yeah. I've 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 gone on dates with people, like multiple dates, and then like on the fourth. Instead of, of I like eight, long walks on the beach, I like long walks in my in my bedroom. Yeah, no, they would like they'd be like, "Oh, do you want to go to the beach?" And it'd be like the fourth or fifth date, and I'd be like, "Well, actually, no, I don't like." sunshine i was like maybe if it's overcast i'll go to the beach and yeah. they're just like they're like okay no and then there was never a next date so oh um so yeah so for me i don't like yeah i'm i'd much prefer my air conditioned you know i've i've like evolved to be like a, a perfect hermit so in a lot of ways what's happening you know what's what's happening is has been really advantageous to me in that if I had the monthly shows, I probably wouldn't have been able to um, focus on learning editing, learning YouTube, learning, um, you know, how to podcast, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And those are all things on my list. Um, so this just really gave you a good chance to like take on those and like learn new skills because it's like you may as well, I can't really go out and do anything else. Yeah. Cause I, I had both, podcasting and YouTube on my list because they're such important platforms and the rest of my social media I've got a pretty good following but obviously I had zero following on podcasts and YouTube you know I had 400 people after 15 years which yeah. is just really sad and so I knew I had to improve on them anyway so it gave me an opportunity because with YouTube it, it was kind of dumb that it was my worst performing social media because as far as getting discovered getting booked youtube is the most important like people don't go on like twitter to find the next comedy sensation you know yeah. like it so i was like clearly bookers go on youtube and search for new comedians and the fact that they'll never find me because i have zero presence is dumb mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. you know it made sense and then with podcasts it's just podcasts are so huge now and i know people say that you know it's too late or it's Honestly, it... it's, it's never too late. Just do what you love doing. And that's why I'm doing this because when I first started comedy, I was just like, I need a way to kind of communicate with other comedians because I don't know anybody. And what better way to communicate with a comedian than to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation for an hour with them and learning all about them. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's great. And I've, I've seen a few of your episodes mm -hmm. with you know, comedians on our couch and it's, yeah, yeah it's, entertaining yeah i love i love doing it on the couch i'm like i miss it so much just having that like nice close intimate conversation with people and honestly it it, it shows and I, I don't know if like every producer judges this way but like for me um you know i really put a lot of onus on like who wants it the most like who's actually doing things and so like it actually does catch a lot of people's eye if you're not just going open mics like if you're doing a podcast if you're if you're getting out there if you're promoting yourself because mm -hmm. people want to work with others who are determined and especially pros who've been around for a decade or more we've seen so many people come and go i would say like the average is about like 10 months you'll see somebody and then they'll be gone forever and so you kind of don't want to like waste your time on people who aren't going to be around so you do kind of look for people and appreciate people more who, you know, obviously are funny, but but also the people who work the hardest, it does leave an impression for sure. Yeah, yeah. 
So what's a little bit of advice and you can give with uh, give for new comedians that are coming out, especially ones that wanted to start right now, especially, and they obviously can't. I would say to take this opportunity to number one, write as much as you can. And number two, find ways to translate your writing your like if you have a good premise, it should translate to the digital space mm -hmm. for sure. Um, and just I don't know, it, it it is kind of tough because you know the act of going out and performing in front of an audience is a big way of how people shape their voice. It's why I tell my writer friends or playwrights to do stand up, even if they don't want to be a stand up comedian, because you learn the rhythm of an audience. You learn how long you can just sort of drag on before people get bored mm -hmm. um, and i would say that part's missing so that is unfortunate for new comedians but honestly if if you're funny you should be able to find some type of audience online as you mentioned before TikTok, youtube even facebook videos find some way to get your creative art out there and when stand-up comes back, then translate it to that. But mm -hmm. yeah, I'm not sure if, if, if that advice made, made, any, <laughs> made any sense. I was kind of rambling there. But yeah. honestly, I would say just see it as an opportunity. Just honestly see it as an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, don't just sit there feeling bad that there's no stand-up. Like there's, there's opportunity. There's yeah. different ways to perform online. Mm -hmm. And like what people should consider is too is like, try to put out like a lot of content just because like when you put out one thing uh the chances are that it sees like everybody even in your network is very like highly unlikely maybe even gets to, like one or two percent of the people that you actually have like in your whole network so the more that yeah. you actually put out the chances of it coming to like more people so like you just need people engaging with it really so the more people that like it though it'll pop up more the more people that comment it'll pop up a lot more on their feeds so really you want to have that kind of like those that kind of momentum where you're getting a lot of people like engaging with your kind of content so the more you put out the, ch the higher chances of people actually engaging a lot uh, i don't know if you know uh, cliff knight right yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah so he, he does a lot of like tiktok videos right now and he's been getting like a lot of engagement because he posts them on like he has them on tiktok and but he also posts them on his instagram as well and that's been getting like i've seen i've been seeing a lot of engagement from those from those videos that he's been putting up and it's just like basic premises that he's doing like just like it's random interactions of like oh how you would be at like no frills or whatever yeah no definitely there's there's so many ways and so many platforms honestly if if you're funny people will find you mm -hmm. as sad as it is i i know how people are feeling like i said i've had youtube videos with 12 views like i i know what it's what it's like but if you're really funny people will find you i, I promise you yeah like it takes i agree time. yeah it takes time but just like put out more content the more you do the better it'll get because you're getting used to like putting out that kind of content yeah, yeah. and the whole world could use more content right now so. yeah exactly netflix isn't enough <laughs> netflix isn't enough yeah yeah if, if honestly as comedians we have the whole world as a captive audience right now so if you can't break through now i don't know when you're gonna break through yeah, like, exactly i mean what, what there's like seven almost eight billion people on the planet come on you gotta at least get even if you get like zero 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 one percent of that that's still a lot of people yeah yeah well vong i want to say thank you so much for for coming on the podcast
Thanks for having me. It's been super fun. Yes, I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you guys for tuning in. And if you guys like the video, uh, don't forget to like and subscribe. And you can follow Vong on Instagram. Uh, where can they follow you, Vong? Um, you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. All of it is uh, at Vong Show or go to my website, vongshow.com. Okay. And you can also check out his podcast too, the, the 10 episodes that he has out. Uh, <laughs> uh, what is it? Uh, Rice uh, Comedy Podcast? Yes. Yeah. If you go on Spotify, just uh, search for Rice Podcast or Rice Comedy. It should come up. Awesome. You guys, you can follow me on Instagram at it's Jeremy Fisher and follow my production company at Grayfish Productions. And if you guys, this happens every Monday at 9 a.m. And if you're a comedian that wants to come on, uh, just comment below or send me a message on Instagram or wherever you find me, and I'll try to get you up on the next episode. Vaughn, thank you again for, for joining us. Yeah, thanks. All right, guys, let's peel out.